The Australia Together podcast is brought to you by Australian Community Futures Planning. We're helping Australians work together to plan a better future for their nation. Visit us at www.austcfp.com.au. Hi, my name's Bronwyn Kelly. I'm the founder of Australian Community Futures Planning, or ACFP, and this is the Australia Together podcast. Today, we're providing the second of three podcast episodes in our series on insights into human rights and democracy in Australia. In this series, I'm providing my answers to some questions I received from the Indigenous Independent Senator, Lydia Thorpe, in association with my appearance as a witness on 28 September 2023 in the Federal Parliament's current inquiry into Australia's human rights framework. In my witness statement, I made a case in support of a Federal Human Rights Act, as had been recommended by the Australian Human Rights Commission. But I stated that even if the Parliament enacts human rights legislation, the Constitution will still be a barrier to security of the human rights of Australians. I advocated for the need to ensure human rights are enshrined for all in the Constitution, not just in legislation. In noting that testimony, Senator Thorpe later asked me two important questions, the first of which was, quote, Can you confirm your submission that unless a Bill or Charter of Rights is constitutionally enshrined, there is no domestic legal way to hold the executive government accountable for passing laws that abuse human rights beyond the government of the day choosing how they are held accountable for breaches, unquote. In episode 37, I provided the first part of my answer to this question. I confirmed my view that unless human rights are constitutionally enshrined, there is no domestic legal way to hold the executive government or parliament accountable for passing laws that abuse human rights. I cited High Court judgments in support of this view. Today I'm providing the second part of my answer. This relates to the utility of a Bill or Charter of Rights in the Constitution in holding governments accountable for breaches or reductions of human rights. In my submissions to the inquiry, I didn't actually say that a Bill or Charter of Rights would be an appropriate form of constitutional enshrinement of rights in a democracy. Here I will set out why, and I'll suggest an alternative. This alternative would offer Australians security of their rights. The necessary level of security of rights would not be available with a Bill or Charter in the Constitution, and it certainly would not be available if rights are merely legislated. Here's my answer. In relation to the utility of a Bill or Charter of Rights in the Constitution in holding governments accountable for breaches of human rights, I responded as follows. The solution to the problem of executive abuse of human rights is not necessarily insertion of a Bill or Charter of Rights into the Constitution. Enshrinement of rights in the form of a bill or charter would be an improvement, inasmuch as it would, depending on how it's drafted, create at least some limits to the power of governments or parliaments to force through laws that abuse or remove human rights. However, in my recent book, The People's Constitution, 
I argue that human rights are not the fiat or gift of governments and that this is confirmed by official government policy, which states that rights are inherent and inalienable. That is, they cannot be given up or taken away and they are an indivisible whole. A charter or bill of rights is a concept or model of lawmaking that assumes that human rights are divisible and can be narrowed down to a selective list of rights a government is prepared to let people have. As such, bills and charters support the notion that rights are not inherent, inalienable and indivisible, and more, that arbitrary executive government decisions to deny those rights are permissible, regardless of the genuine needs or will of either parliaments or the people. Therefore, Although a Bill or Charter of Rights in the Constitution could, again depending on how it's framed, restore a more reasonable balance of power between the Parliament, executive governments and the courts in relation to human rights policies and decisions, we are nevertheless unlikely to experience the full measure of the benefit that may be experienced by this restoration of a reasonable share of power for the courts if a Bill or Charter is drafted in a manner that is a. Selective of rights, and or B. Makes it lawful for a government to arbitrarily suspend any human rights laws, and or C. Does not simultaneously enshrine the obligations of governments and parliaments to protect and honour the rights of Australians. Should such a bill or charter, for example, leave the way open for governments to continue making executive decisions or statements which adversely affect or detract from rights in law, then the gains made through a bill or charter in the Constitution will be lawfully, albeit unjustly and undemocratically, reversible. A bill or charter of human rights in the Constitution would reduce the potential for executive abuses of rights in one way, because it would help the courts defend us from abuse more than they can now. But it will reintroduce the possibility of abuse by different means, because it would increase the potential for divisibility of what in policy is acknowledged to be indivisible. In other words, it is likely to unjustifiably reduce access to certain rights, perhaps on a permanent basis, even though that would be contrary to international law. And it is likely to allow governments to escape obligations to protect human rights and to refrain from restricting access to rights when it is not necessary. For example, when a restriction is not vital to the interests of national security or public order or public health or for the protection of the rights and freedoms of others. The executive government's ability to escape obligations under international human rights law will persist, particularly if the bill or charter confers rights on Australians but does not simultaneously confer the attendant obligations on governments to uphold those rights. For a list of the obligations of governments that are state parties to international human rights treaties, and the Australian government is a state party to these treaties, see Appendix 3 of the People's Constitution, accessible as an extract at the ACFP website. Commitment to observe these obligations is essential for any state party if human rights are to be protected. It should be noted that, contrary to their own policies, 
Australia's Commonwealth governments have uniformly displayed a tendency to assume that an arrangement where rights are permitted only by government fiat is an appropriate way to make laws about human rights in a democracy. The Parliamentary Joint Committee on Human Rights Chair, Mr Josh Burns, MP, made an assertion to this effect in his question to me at the hearing on 28 September 2023. He said, quote, No member of the committee is a member of the executive, but in your submission and your opening statement, you talk about how a member of the committee would feel if a future executive were to make contrary decisions. I would put it to you that absolutely they should have the right to, that any future government should have the right to completely disband any piece of legislation or make changes as they see fit, and there shouldn't be a restriction on any future government making decisions as the government of the day. You speak about protecting the democratic rights of Australians, and to not have that would be a gross violation of the democratic rights of Australians, wouldn't it? Unquote. I must assert in reply to Mr Burns that if it is indeed proper that governments should not be subject to restrictions and should be able to change any law as they see fit, then this is a description of autocratic rule, not democracy. It assumes and attempts to enshrine arbitrariness into our system of governance. A government which is subject to no restriction at all on what it may rightly do, is licensing itself to be arbitrary and, moreover, is evading its constitutional responsibility to Parliament. This level of executive overreach by a government is essentially undemocratic. This difference of opinion with Mr Burns' assertion about the rights of executive governments in a democracy is central to my answer to Senator Thorpe's question. To explain that and to show how big a problem this executive government overreach has now become in Australia's democratic arrangements, I will state that since the High Court decision in Argentio in 1995, successive governments have arrogated to themselves much of the legislative power of the Parliament. They have achieved this by means of executive statements and other avoidances of parliamentary process, for example, by reducing sitting days or refusing to allow the bills of non-government members to come forward for debate. It is this insistence on what Mr Burns calls the absolute right of governments to sideline the parliament in this way that has the potential to cause and is actually causing violations of the democratic and human rights of Australians and anyone who comes to this country. See Chapter 6 of the People's Constitution for Australia's Record of Abuse of Human Rights since the 1990s. Australia has become a serial abuser of human rights and I suggest that this is because executive overreach has been made possible by a constitution which is silent on rights. I also contend that in a democracy there should indeed be restrictions on any government's ability to completely disband legislation on human rights. Human rights is the one area of law where executives and parliaments should not make changes as they see fit. Any changes must be as the people see fit, if only because 
Human rights are their inherent and inalienable property, not the parliaments and certainly not the governments. In my submission, I provided reasons for this argument, summarised as follows. To the extent that the concept of parliamentary sovereignty, as it is described by the Australian Human Rights Commission, gives parliaments the right to make or unmake any law, it embeds the possibility of unjust laws and arbitrary suspension of just laws. It is fundamental that if human rights are inalienable and if we are to be protected from the potential for injustice by an arbitrary sovereign, parliamentary or monarchical, then we need a system of law and lawmaking which will prevent parliaments and governments from overriding the rights that the government otherwise declares to be universal and inalienable. ACFP therefore submits that the government should consider working towards a human rights framework in which it is a key principle that the people of Australia, not the parliaments or the executive governments or the judicature, are to be accorded sovereignty in this particular area of law and that this sovereignty can only be protected by constitutional enshrinement of all rights and obligations in the International Human Rights Treaties and Declarations to which Australia is already a state party. This offers a safe course for both the people of Australia and elected parliaments, inasmuch as instruments of international human rights law to which Australia is a signatory and that in most cases Parliament has long since ratified, already set out the conditions on which the human rights in the treaties may be legitimately limited or temporarily suspended in the interests of the safety of the nation. The committee should note that in the People's Constitution I therefore propose that rather than enshrining rights in the Constitution via a bill or charter, the valid and safe way is to create a process by which Australians may freely grant all rights to themselves and each other as equals and impose all necessary obligations on themselves and their governments to uphold these rights. This may be done efficiently and fairly through a referendum to enshrine in the Constitution a national agreement on human rights and obligations. A starting draft of a possible national agreement on human rights and obligations is available for use in community engagement on the ACFP website. Chapter 6 of the People's Constitution also contains a proposal for a democratic process that will allow Australians to at last enshrine whatever human rights and obligations they wish in Australia's constitution by making a free agreement as equals. The proposed democratic process is called Prospect 2. It is premised on the principle that human rights are the inherent property of all humans from birth and therefore cannot be bestowed by governments. Instead, if we are to have them at all, they must be what we freely give to each other as equals. Prospect 2 reverses the way laws on human rights are currently made. In the reversal, all the human rights available in any treaty or international instrument of law signed by the Australian Government are automatically incorporated into the Constitution, even before ratification by the Parliament. And the Government must argue for permission from the people to remove a human right in law and or be exonerated from its obligations under the treaties. 
Such permission must be sought by a referendum. Some may argue that this will expose Australia to risk in an emergency. But this is wrong, because the international treaties already set out the conditions on which the human rights in the treaties may be legitimately limited or temporarily suspended without the need for a referendum. For instance, in an emergency that threatens the life of the nation or public health. As such, there is no risk to the nation from Prospect 2. Parliaments will still be able to lawfully limit rights in an emergency for as long as the emergency lasts, and they will be able to do so without the need for a referendum. Prospect 2 also contemplates the need for an inception referendum to establish that this agreement between equals is indeed the means by which Australians wish to at last inaugurate enshrinement of their rights in domestic law. An option for a straightforward question for this inception referendum may be as follows. Question. Do you support an alteration to the Constitution that will allow the people of Australia to make a national agreement on human rights and obligations, wherein the full set of human rights and obligations that are established in international instruments of law, to which Australia is a signatory or of which it is a supporter, will form the basis of the agreement and will be maintained as the minimum of human rights and obligations under Australian law until such time as Australian enfranchised electors seek in a duly constituted referendum to vary the agreement. End of question. The committee will note that the current method for making laws on human rights, I call this Prospect 1 in the People's Constitution, is one where governments start with a limited list of whatever rights they might be prepared to confer and they then let the Parliament decide which items on the list might be allowed into law. Prospect 2, by contrast, starts with the full menu of possible rights and obligations in international law, taking them as a given because they are inherent, and then lets the electors delete what they truly don't want or need, on the proviso that if they delete a right, they must delete it for everyone, and if they delete an obligation, the deletion will not adversely impact any particular group compared to others. In effect, invocation of Prospect 2 would transfer ratification powers on human rights away from parliaments and to the people. It would give the people the first and last word on their rights, which is as it should be. This would amount to a transfer of sovereignty away from the parliament or away from the executive government if it has usurped parliamentary sovereignty and move it to the people themselves, but only in the area of human rights. It would not transfer legislative power away from the Parliament on human rights or any other area of law. It would simply provide limits to the use of power, preventing arbitrary decisions on human rights. At the same time, it would clarify how truly legitimate lawmaking may occur in a democracy, lawmaking that is consistent with the sovereign will of the people. Prospect 2 runs entirely counter to Mr Burns's rendering of democratic arrangements which suppose that the executive and executive governments have absolute rights to completely disband any piece of legislation. 
But this rendering is invalid both under Australia's constitution and in democracy. As explained above, executive power of the magnitude assumed in Mr Burns's rendering is autocratic, not democratic. It disregards parliamentary sovereignty, arrogating it to the executive government. Among other things, this is inconsistent with the principle of responsible government, which underlies Australia's constitution and which, according to the High Court, is mandated by the constitution. Mr Burns's rendering of democracy is inconsistent with that principle for the reason that, in the current constitution, the executive government is responsible to the parliament, not the other way around. As the Australian government solicitor has stated, under the principle of responsible government, quote, the Crown, represented by the Governor-General, acts on the advice of its ministers who are in turn members of and responsible to the Parliament. It is for this reason that Section 64 of the Constitution requires ministers to be or become members of Parliament, unquote. In Australia's constitutional arrangements, executive governments are not meant to be able to overturn legislation. That is the preserve of the Parliament. Therefore, the committee chair's assertion that, quote, absolutely, any future government should have the right to completely disband any piece of legislation or make changes as they see fit, and there shouldn't be a restriction on any future government making decisions as the government of the day, unquote, equates to an assertion of absolute power for the executive and a refutation of parliamentary sovereignty. This may be the preferred interpretation of a hierarchy among those empowered by the Constitution, and it may well suit the current government's preferences when it comes to decisions particularly on war, a power which the current government has recently refused autocratically to share with the Parliament. But it is not an interpretation that implies a government acceptance of the need to act responsibly as mandated by the Constitution. It implies defiance of that principle and a preference to disregard parliamentary sovereignty and the democratic rights of Australians. This issue is likely to be one that may take decades to resolve. But while that is occurring, risks associated with current forms of lawmaking about human rights, forms which imply the executive government should have absolute power to legislate, should at least be avoided. The safest way to avoid them is to establish a program of respectful nationwide community engagement and genuine collaboration with Australians to establish a constitution fit for a 21st century democracy whose members are political equals. The committee was provided with a copy of a possible seven-step program for this purpose. That program is repeated in the notes to this episode. In the next episode of this podcast, I will answer Senator Thorpe's question about what is the biggest danger in pursuing the weaker Australian Human Rights Commission proposal as opposed to the constitutional model. I'll provide a list of five big risks, but the biggest of these probably arises from the executive overreach I have described above. This overreach has the potential both to eliminate the democratic rights of Australians and to expand the abuse of rights by Australian governments that is already evident on the record. My name's Bronwyn Kelly, and this has been the Australia Together podcast, brought to you by Australian Community Futures Planning. 
to become involved in planning and building a better future for Australia. Subscribe to ACFP at www.austcfp.com.au. Everyone is welcome to become involved.